0: this time, we're going to continue with our message, God's wisdom for our lives, a treasure hunt that we began considering a couple of weeks ago. Let's stand together as we reverence a reading of God's word, Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment, and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. May God bless the reading of His Word. Today is my prayer. You may be seated. book of Proverbs, remember, was written to give God's wisdom to the simple or the naive uh, knowledge to the young and old alike, Solomon knew that the destiny of any generation of people would be inevitably tied uh, to their attitude toward the words of God, the truth of God. In chapter 2, then, of this great book, he compares the truth of God to a, a treasure, a marvelous treasure hidden uh, that is to be sought out. And so we saw the prerequisites last week that he put in place, the if statements, and there were many of them. If you seek, if you search, if you receive my words, if you cry out for discernment and understanding, and of course, uh, linguistically and also practically, we know that if there's an if, there has to be a then, amen? If and then, and the then, then is the promises of these passages and And we're going to consider them this morning. Verse 5, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Right up front, he tells us then about the fear of the Lord. And let's understand that the fear of the Lord is not some debilitative or destructive terror uh, that locks us into our place or... Uh, some kind of a phobia-type reaction that uh, makes us incapable of, of dealing with anything. No, that's not the kind of fear that we are speaking of. The fear of the Lord is a deep-seated sense of reverence and awe concerning Him, His person, His character, His holiness, so that when we are openly then searching for wisdom... God responds with truth, and that truth begins with the fear of God. The fear of the Lord, you see, is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. That's where it all starts. You see, there's a very real sense that if a person does not hold God in all, if we do not revere God, if we do not acknowledge uh, Him and His greatness and His holiness... Uh, then there's no reason for us to be concerned about what he has to say. If we don't recognize the incredible power of God, God, creator God, then there's no reason for us to be concerned about learning more about him or knowing him. There'll be no sense of accountability to him. And therefore the things of God will have little importance. Interestingly, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is something that must be taught. And it needs to be taught early and well. I want to say that again. The fear of God needs to be taught early and well. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 34 and 11. Come, you children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Oh, I can't even begin to tell you. All the situations and all the scenes, all the people that I've seen, all the things that I've seen play out that I responded to by saying, uh, somebody needs to put the fear of God in them folks. Uh, They don't have any fear of God. And uh, i tell you, we live in a world where that is sadly and very obviously true. The fear of God has to be taught. It has to be taught early and well. So that parents pass that along to our children who God is. Sunday school teachers add their voices. Pastors add our voices. All of it telling the same message. We're telling our kids who God is, how great He is, how powerful He is, how we are obligated to Him, how we are to respect Him, how we are to treat His very name with reverence and respect. And when we do that, when we fear God, then he promises that we'll find the knowledge of God. It gives us then that logical progression. To fear God is to know God, and to know God then is to get wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. If you fear God, then you can know God and get wisdom from God and knowledge. Because he is the source of all true knowledge and understanding. In this information age in which we live, we have learned to assimilate information from a wide variety of sources. Uh, News media, books, articles, magazines of all kinds, the internet, of course, always available. Uh, They combine uh, to form a rich source of information. Uh, You can, without moving out of your seat, uh, you can learn how to create poison or manufacture an atomic bomb Uh, such things are mind boggling. You can also learn about treating illnesses and creating medicines, how to deal with all kinds of issues, all without ever leaving your chair. Those of us my age and older, and since Shiloh brought it up this morning, I'll kind of follow that lead a little bit. Those of us my age and older, certainly Brother Hudson's age and older, remember that when you really wanted to know something, do some research about it, you went to a place called a library. Yeah. You picked up things called books and you referenced them with encyclopedias and all kinds of things. You used that Dewey Decimal situation that none of us ever really understood, but we nevertheless learned how to uh, kind of deal with it. Now we do it all, from just sitting still. We've got this magnificent source of information. But in this high-tech world, the truth Uh, Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 7 really stands out. How, How about this one? God stores up sound wisdom for the upright. What a statement! God stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk uprightly, He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. The word store up in this passage is the same Hebrew word that is called treasure or hide in verse 1. God stores up treasures for the upright. He places it in store for us to uncover it, discover it, and yes, even rediscover it at just the right time. It's amazing how that the circumstances and situations of our life seem to bring us into contact with more and different things of God's truth. It's it's always been there. We may be even seen it before, but it somehow becomes real to us. We see it in a new light uh, and we honestly get to the place in life where no doubt we've seen it before. But now we get the joy of discovering it all over again. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful experience. I've often thought about the vast reaches of space and the universe. Did you ever think that God put all of these galaxies, some of them that dwarf our relatively small Milky Way, but God put all of those galaxies out there, knowing that it would be our generation that would be the first generation to ever see them. You talk about storing up wisdom, <laughs> storing up knowledge, like a treasure to be discovered. But if we can see that out in space, how much more should we be able to see it when we hold His divinely inspired Word, His completed revelation in our hands, the Word of God? God has stored up truth for us. We never have to worry about exhausting the supply. Proverbs include what I call triple sayings. Uh, This text is a great example as God's wisdom is described as a shield, a guard, and a preserver. uh, That tells us then that God is on the side of righteousness, justice, and equity, or fairness. So that uh, he is a shield, a guard, and a preserver. He is working for righteousness, justice, and equity. As the the writer of Proverbs, Solomon then describes the activities of God in humanity in a very general way. Um, Now, the philosopher proposes that ultimate argument against God. If God is all-powerful, then that means he can prevent evil from happening. And if he has the power to prevent evil from happening and he doesn't, then... God must not be good. So either God isn't good, he's all-powerful, but he's not good, or uh, God is good, but he's not all-powerful. And the philosophers are real proud of that argument. They've been using it for a long time to deceive the simple and the naive. I like what C.S. Lewis said so long ago. Uh, He says that if God gives people the ability to make choices, or what we call free will then God does not at the same time withhold from people the ability to make choices. If he gives us the ability to make choices, he doesn't, though he is omnipotent, he doesn't at the same time restrain us from making those choices. I've said it before, God created people, not puppets. Much of the evil thing, the evil that happens in this world comes from Satan and his minions, but a lot of it comes from fallen mankind and bad choices and decisions that are made. These things are working together and even orchestrated so that the Bible speaks of them all as the mystery of iniquity that is working in our world and headed inexorably toward the appearance of the one the Bible calls the man of sin, uh, very strategically, the man of sin and his kingdom of evil uh, that is coming. <laughs> and against all of this, we can simply provide the words of Paul in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 when he said that God commends, and the word there means prove, God proved, God commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the ultimate answer of God toward the evil in the world is the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand God. We understand God because we understand the cross. We understand who he is. We understand his character and nature and his love for us. We might well look at the evil in the world and question whether God is a loving God. But we cannot look at the cross and question whether God loves us. He does. And he's proved it to us. So Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 10 then talks about how that wisdom enters into our hearts. And knowledge becomes pleasant to our soul. Discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. As it creates, uh, as knowledge, the knowledge of God then comes into our heart, we have the promise that it will create a very pleasant and satisfying ministry for the soul. Remember, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We not only need physical food, we need spiritual food. And we've all experienced in this holiday season how satisfying it is uh, to have really good physical food. But you know, spiritual food does the same thing for us. And even better, it satisfies the soul. The soul. Knowledge is pleasant to our soul, and it creates then what the Bible calls discretion. (laughs) Some of you will like this a lot. That refers to careful planning, careful planning, and moving then while exercising great care. Uh, also comes with the word discretion. It's slightly different in the, in the sense that it uh, comes to listening then perceptively. A person uh, who plans carefully and listens uh, perceptively is a compassionate and caring and empathetic person. So that the wisdom of God then creates that enviable situation where we speak carefully. We do uh, conduct ourselves carefully. Uh, we're not careless. We're not fleeting. We try to say the right thing at the right time. God's wisdom has a remarkable way of doing that for us. What a promise! Along with these promises, then comes warnings. I call it a warning because, even even though it's a warning, folk, it still contains a promise. Verse 12, because part of the things that wisdom does, it says, is to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths and so another one of those trilogies a uh, 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 triple sayings found in this passage is wisdom is said to preserve keep and deliver us that spreads out in a variety of directions as it is delivering us then from evil men and that's the first warning evil men are in the world These evil men are characterized, first of all, by the way that they live. Uh, They are in the way of evil. It's a person who is bent towards sin and has embraced a sinful lifestyle. They're hardened to it. They don't even see it anymore as being sinful or wrong. They've grown acclimated to it. They do not satisfy themselves then with the practice of their own sin, but they will eagerly work to entice others into their sins. We say misery loves company. Sin does too. Sin does too. And so here's God's wisdom that we seek after. And that's those if statements. If we cry out for wisdom, if we seek it like treasure, then. And one of the thens is that God will protect us, preserve us from the evil men and their way of evil, their life of evil that they try to draw us toward. Then there's the man who speaks perverse things. I like this in the old King James because it's the word froward, not forward, froward, F-R-O-W-A-R-D. Uh, those of you who are familiar with old woodworking practices knows what a, what a fro is. It uh, was something that was used to divide and make shingles and other things. So uh, a froward person was a very divisive person person who loves to create drama. Perhaps you've known a few folks over the course of your life uh, that just seemed like they could create a fight in an empty room. I mean, they're, and they're not happy. They're, they're not happy unless they're stirring up drama. And wherever you find them, it doesn't matter if it's in the workplace or in a classroom or in school. It it just seems like everywhere you go in life, you'll run into these people and God help us. Yes, sometimes they do land in the church. That's why the Bible says in Romans 16 and 17, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. (laughs) Stay away from them. Uh, Folks, we don't have to get drawn into the drama. We can just choose not to participate. The Bible tells us, avoid them. Uh, Have you heard about such and such? No. And then to walk away. (laughs) Try it sometimes. I promise you, it works. So uh, God's wisdom then will deliver us from from the evil men with their ways of evil that they're trying to draw us into. With the evil men who speak perverse things. They're divisive and and just filled with drama. One of the ways that he characterizes them... It's being those who have left the paths of righteousness and they walk in the ways of darkness. Uh, What an apt description that is. A mind darkened by sin. First of all, the sin darkened mind rejoices in evil. That tells us that they like sin. They love it. The sin darkened mind then delights in division. Why do they stir up so much drama? Because they like it. They love it. Sin darkened mind is crooked and devious. They have no regard for truth. They find themselves incapable of telling the truth. They are not honest. Uh, They are dishonest. And we might think that such people are obvious to everybody, but they're not. They're not. You might think that God's people could always see right through folks like that. We don't. But God's wisdom does enable us to see through it and to understand that we're dealing with a person who, though they might claim to be Christians, their minds are darkened by sin. And if they're truly saved, their testimony has been repossessed by the devil. And I chose my words carefully. I don't mean they've lost their salvation, but I do mean they've lost their testimony. And their mind is darkened by sin. Such people can cause more trouble <laughs> in any situation in a few days than you can clean up in years. But that in any situation, workplace, church, school, community, whatever, The good news that God's wisdom then promises us to deliver us from this type of evil, even though it may appear to us for a while that these devious, dishonest people are actually carrying the way and, and really have a leg up on us. Mark Twain famously said, a lie can run around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. And I would agree with that. But I would respond to Twain's satire by saying that when the truth finally does get laced up, it tends to arrive with devastating authority. Truth has a way of winning out in the end. So we had then this warning about evil men and and their darkness and their dishonesty and their deviousness. And how that God's wisdom will deliver you from them. So that you don't follow them in their ways of darkness. And get sucked in to all the things they're trying to do. Evil men. But then there's also a passage about evil women. After all, evil is not gender exclusive. It's not just bad men. They're bad women too. Verse 16, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead, none who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. So that we have this promise then that wisdom will deliver us from the man with the sin-darkened mind. And then we have the promise that God's wisdom would deliver us from the woman who similarly has a sin-darkened mind. For the same reason, she's turned away from God's truth. It's another trilogy in the passage. Uh, This is a woman who flatters. We call that flirts. Flirts. She forsakes the God of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. When he speaks in verse 17 of the companion of her youth, we need to understand we've got a cultural difference here. You see, in Bible times, especially those ancient Bible times, uh, young unmarried women were, were never sent out into the world on their own. They always had somebody to watch over them. It was either a brother who was taking care of her or a servant or a friend or an older sibling. Somebody was always with her to watch out for her. Somebody was there to guide her. And uh, uh, the text refers to it as a companion. That was her guide. That was her guide and protector. So we've got a a young woman then who turns to flattery and flirtatiousness, who forsakes the God of her youth and then forgets the covenant of her God. It really isn't a big of a trip between flirting and forgetting who she really belongs to. Uh, This kind of behavior on the part of woman almost always began with her attire. What Solomon would later call in Proverbs 7.10, the attire of a harlot, a seductress, a flirtatious girl, young woman, who has a mind full then of evil, sin darkened mind. And Solomon knew that as his sons needed deliverance from evil men, They too would need deliverance from evil women. I know what you're thinking. Uh, Solomon should have listened to himself. You're right. You're right. But it doesn't change the truth of what he said. If anything, it underscores it. If even the man who wrote these warnings could fall victim, and he did... And not just slightly, but catastrophically, and it did. Then that means that any of us are vulnerable. And so, let's just go down this path for a moment, as discreetly as we can. In today's world, young ladies are bombarded with a style of dress, with cultural pressures that... Are leading you toward a path of promiscuity. Let's just be plain about it. That's what's happening. Ideas such as virginity and marriage, uh, which God designed both physically and legally as a covenant, and which Solomon has very clearly emphasized in this passage, uh, those kind of things are abandoned. The scripture gives us a simple two-word description of what kind of attire is appropriate. Modest apparel. Modest apparel. What a simple plan. That worked good back in his day. It still works good today. Modest apparel. Solomon gives a strong warning to his sons. There are women who have turned to a flattering, flirtatious kind of life. They've forsaken the God of her youth, and they've forgotten the covenant of her God. Uh, uh, these women are seductresses, and he gives a strong woman to his sons. You avoid them, and the wisdom of God will deliver you from them. A the woman, after all, who's forgotten her responsibilities to God will not think much of her responsibilities to her husband either and in fact she'll never understand her responsibilities to her husband if she doesn't see herself first of all as belonging to God and so he concludes then in Proverbs chapter 2 verse 20 so you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness for the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it but the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. So that the path, then, of those with sin darkened minds, then, is contrasted with a, a simple way, the way of goodness. If there's a way of evil, and there is, a way traveled by those with sin darkened mind, and there is, then there is a way of goodness. Thank God there is a way of goodness. Youth will be forever tempted with the allure of a sinful lifestyle. a Sin that offers all of the pleasures and disguises all of the pain. In our modern high-tech world, sin offers all kinds of ways of dealing with its consequences. Uh, Drugs to numb the pain or alcohol to take care of our conscience. uh, And then more as we go along to take care of the guilt. Sin offers protection and and treatment to deal with STDs and abortions to take care of a pregnancy and a permissive mindset to take away the shame and disgrace of a promiscuous lifestyle of the evil way. We so often look at the way of dishonesty and uh, with with the way of of, of doing business and conducting ourselves where lies uh, become the uh, the, the, the coin of the realm, if you will. And it seems like sometimes that, that people who are going that way, it may seem to the girl, well well, it's the girls like that that get the guys, or, or, or the guys that, that look at us Well, well, everybody's doing it these days. And that it may just seem like that this is a path to follow because everybody is going that way. And the dishonest people are the ones who are making all the money and, and doing everything. It may seem to us sometimes. That's why the, the psalmist wrote to us about not fretting ourselves over evildoers. Now, we don't need to wring our hands over the workers of iniquity. Because he said they'll soon be cut off. But in contrast to that, we have this great passage by good people stand the test of time. Nothing has ever been created, you see, to take away the long term emotional and even eternal consequences of that sin darkened mind in the way of evil. But I'm here to tell you some good news this morning. There is a way out, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. You may have been sucked into that life. You may have been sucked into it before you even knew that it was such a thing. You may have turned away from God's truth. But like the prodigal son, you'll find out if you'll return to the Father, he'll wait for, He's waiting for you with open arms. God is always ready, willing, and able. Oh, if we repent... If we return unto God, then God can deal with those long-term emotional and, yes, the eternal consequences of sin. But good people, the way of goodness stands the test. The blessings that are obtained by this good life are both intrinsic And extrinsic. They are intrinsic in the way that it makes us feel. It's good to be able to look at that guy in the mirror at night after a long day of doing business and say, you know, I did it right. Able to look down at a long list of customers and say, you know, I treated them all fairly. I didn't beat anybody. I didn't lie to get ahead. I've done it right. To look in our relationships and say, I've, I've stayed away from the evil. I, I didn't get drawn in uh, to that, that lifestyle so prevalent in our world today. I didn't get turned into that. And though we'd all admit, no, I had not been perfect. All have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. Yet we've recognized when we've messed up, we've confessed it to God. He's picked us back up. Got us going again. We never lose sight of that way of righteousness and that way of goodness. That way is the way that lasts. The wicked will be cut off. Yeah. And if they remain in that wickedness, that separation from God will be eternal. But it doesn't have to be. I hope today, if you've not received Christ as your Savior, that you will. If maybe as a Christian, you found yourself getting drawn away into some of these other paths, that you'd think this morning about that way of goodness and call out to God saying, God, help me to find again that way of goodness. Set it before me. Set my feet upon the rock God, you promised to do that. Give me stable again. Give me back on my feet. On your truth again. God promised us he'd do it. And he will. Let's stand together, please.